Hello, this is Black Country Blokes chewing the fat. Listen, listen, listen. I've been hearing a lot lately about men don't talk, but in my experience, men do talk, just people aren't listening. So it's going to be me and a group of blokes discussing our struggles and victories through life. Warning, there may be some bad language, so apologies to all the moms, especially on my own. Let's get going. Listen, listen, listen. Yeah. Abin, yeah, it's the Black Country Blokes, chewing the fat about everything is mental health, disability, and life in general. Here with me, Kev Dillon, and my partner in crime, as always, Lee Cadman. And we're joined today by Prash. Now, Prash is going to be talking about many different subjects, bereavement, loss, and how to deal with it, and yeah. just some key stages. But before we get into that, we're going to go into our gratitude list, as always. I'm grateful. I, I watched the coronation with my family. Then we went around mom's, had a little bit of a do. And whether you're a royalist or you hate the monarchy, I loved being in a history lesson. I, I found it brilliant seeing it firsthand. Then the next day, my daughter was in a parade through Kings Winford and Warleaf. And it was magnificent seeing all the floats and the kids and people just being. I felt very British and very proud to be from my village. That was wonderful. So I'm just very grateful to be a part of it. What are you grateful for? Oh, it's an easy one this week. Usually I have to think a bit about this, but um, as I've mentioned a few times on this, what I'm grateful for uh, in the, over the few weeks is moving to a new house. Um, and that process started this week. And um, we got in there and started trying to get everything decorated before uh, actually moving in. And I'm just grateful for the people who've come around and helped and supported us uh, to get it done before carpets go down and all that. And uh, mm. yeah, just everyone getting together and coming round and, and, and smashing the job. It's been fantastic. It's nice to everyone chips in and gets around, isn't it? Yeah, and it, uh, it is. It is. It's nice. And, and um, it's nice to feel that support mm. that, you know, when you're, your back's against the wall a bit, that um, people jump up and help out. Brush, what are you grateful for? Well, I'm just glad my team's not. Fighting relegation in the Premiership, so that's good. Wolves fan, <laughs> I'm a, hey? Wolves. No, I'm a Villa fan. Actually. Villa fan. Well, you're doing <laughs> well this season, aren't you? <laughs> hey? You're doing well this season, aren't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. <laughs> it is a quite of a bit of a shock, actually, for uh, most of us. We're all getting nosebleeds, being so high <laughs> up. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's been good. And um, I have good, good family life. You know, I got great girls. My eldest has graduated now uh, from university, and I'm just, uh, you know, chuffed for her. And um, the job I do in life in general, and got some good friends around me. I can't believe we've got someone on gratitude that they support Aston Villa. Yeah, <laughs> that is a first. Tell us about your actual organisation. What do you do? Yeah, I work for Dudley Integrated Health and Care Trust, um, and that was set up uh, a couple of years ago now. Um, Previous to that, I was working for Future Proof, and, and we were asked to um, start up what we call listening and guidance in GP practices. So I cover the Starbridge, Willisscote and Lye area, which is has about 65,000 patients, and um, I cover seven surgeries in that area. I work Monday to Tuesday out of Line Health, um, healthcare in Starbridge, and then I'm at Wednesdays, I'm at Witchbury medical center um i deal with grief and loss i deal with anxiety and stress i would say 85 percent of my patients um are uh, grief and loss so i specialize in that area because i'm widowed myself i've been widowed for nine years now coming up in june 
Um, like I said, my girls were nine and 11 at the time. They're now 18 and 21. So, you know, it's nice to know that they've grown up and started to do their own thing, really. Is that um, what got you into it? Was that what the catalyst to think it lived experience? It was the lived experience. I had 15 years in IT before. Uh, working as a team leader um, for a large company and covered the East Midlands, West Midlands. I did a lot of managerial experience in that area. It was the two years my wife went through cancer from 2012 to June the 5th, 2014, because she passed away on June the 5th, 2014. Um, that, that was the catalyst. That was the change. Um, I'd lost my... I'd lost my enthusiasm for IT. I remember going back after, what, four months uh, being out of work. The company were brilliant. They looked after me. They were absolutely amazing. And I remember just sitting across the desk to my, my friend and saying, what on earth am I doing here? And I think I stayed there for a year because work was the only stable thing in my life uh, in that sense. Um, also, my church life, I'm a I'm a Christian, uh, have been for about 19 odd years now. I've done ministerial work as well in that area. And it was a bit of stability, but I think it was in 2015 when it got to a point where I thought, I'm finding this a bit tedious now. It, dry, it felt like a dry desert. IT's done for me. I'd finished. So I handed my notice in and I remembered speaking to my boss and saying, I think it's time I went before I became a pain in the backside. Yeah. <laughs> so I left and uh, five years I didn't work. Five years. Where did you find that? It was, I had to rediscover who I was. Mm -hmm. I didn't know who I was. I was used to being married, happily married, 16 years. Hated being single. Oh, it was, um, didn't like it at all. Um, and it's it was- amazing for what our women I'm not saying it's on a sexist, chauvinistic thing, but it's amazing what I know what my wife does for me. And I oh. don't always tell her how much I appreciate it. And yeah. I see it like with my mother, my mom, to my dad, and them subtle things that you don't even notice happening, but keeps the boat afloat. Absolutely. And you, you don't realise it until they're gone. Mm. And that's the difficulty. I remember sitting there one night and just thinking, right, okay, why don't you do what you normally do? And I realised... I did nothing without her. Mm -hmm. I was Billy no mates. I had no friends. Everything I did was with my wife. So I had to, at that time, at the age of 48, 48 reinvent myself. That's the last thing you want to be doing at 48. Yeah. Having to... Two kids as well. Two kids as well who are also grieving and got 50 million different questions asking me. So I'm trying to deal with my grief and I'm also trying to help them. So, I mean, when I look back now, I'm thinking, how on earth did you get through? I mean, the, the two years we went through cancer was stressful as it was. It, it, that was, it was constantly being on a red alert. Mm -hmm. The one o'clock trips in the morning to hospital to, you know, um, she went through a mastectomy. She went through uh, radiotherapy. She had chemotherapy. Sadly, she had an aggressive type of breast cancer um and um it, it was it was june the 5th when when we lost her 2014 but we were told in january that uh, we were told in in august 2013 that it was terminal 
uh, because she went three months clear and then suddenly we told it's gone to the chest it's terminal and then it was in january 2014 we were told that basically she's got six months and it was literally five and a half months later it's um, a friend of ours has just recently gone through something similar with his dad and um when he talks to me about it, it's really horrible when, because you, you think to yourself, okay, what can I do in those six months? But ultimately you can't do a lot because you're that poorly. Uh, and and it's crazy because my wife was still active. Really? She was physically up active. Mm. We actually went to the solicitors, got a house in order. We actually, and, and that's weird when you're sitting there writing your will. She handed over all the bank accounts to me, signed everything off, went to the bank, did everything, signed everything. She goes, you'll need these. That's hard. Yeah. That's hard to take when you're sitting there. Bring some realisation to the situation. Oh, it does. Mm. It does. And, this, and the crazy thing, you're going, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. We need to do this. But then you suddenly realise why you're doing it. Mm. And those are the difficult moments. And, and I remember one night... We're just reading. She turned to me and she goes, I don't want to die. And that cut me up. Mm. And I just turned to her and said, I know. You know. Uh, there's know. nothing like that. Um, I'll go through with my daughter, that feeling of helplessness. There is. Because there's, there's literally nothing you can do, isn't there? You can't. And that's where all the anger and frustration builds up mm. over time. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult journey. We, we were saying this uh, off air, wasn't we? Saying sometimes we hope you're in either work, like grief. And I think men struggle with grief. Everyone struggles with grief. Yes. But how men deal with it is I, I throw myself into work, I become a very angry, bitter, and, yes. or an addict. You know, I throw myself into liquor, drugs, whatever it is. It, it, it's distraction, isn't it? Absolutely. And distraction doesn't work i mean we we men we've gone through a phase of life growing up where you're kind of built up to be that strong you're the man be strong you know stiff upper lip and i think in in our community in the asian community as well you my dad was quite a strong man and people whenever people keep telling you oh you're just like your dad so you live up to that strong mm, yeah. man image but when it comes to things like this, uh, psychological issues, and when we lose loved ones, it don't matter if you're six foot four. No, no. To no. five foot six, it doesn't really matter. I've seen guys break it when they struggle. And it is his right. We'll throw ourselves into work. We'll look for distractions. If I push it away, I can, I'll be okay. But it doesn't work like that. I remember... I annoyed my friend at work because I kept saying, oh, can't wait for a year, can't wait for a year. And she goes, what are you expecting after a year? Mm. I says, I don't know. I think I just don't want to go through what I'm going through now. And it was that the first few months felt like, oh, this is never going to end. I'm going to be like this forever. I'm going to hurt forever. Going to be on my own forever. It is that feeling it's desolate. It's pretty, it's a pretty bad place to be in that sense. And men, we, anger comes in, frustration comes in. And the worst thing about when we don't deal with our anger, 
it'll build up just like a fizzy drink. Mm. You shake that bottle, you don't take the lid off. It's all like going everywhere. Mm. And the problem with the, us as men is we will normally strike out to the ones who we're closest to. Mm. And they don't deserve it. And then you apologize. And then you feel bad. Guilty. Yeah. Guilt Kim comes in. Oh, there are so Shame. many there are so many different um things we go through when we're grieving. Was it like, you know, when you lost your wife, you're already a great dad, but then you have to almost learn how to be a different kind of dad, because then your mom and dad. I bet that's tough. Like the simple things, as I say, that your wife does unknowingly, you know, these things that were so it just going on in front yeah. of us. And then all of a sudden when it's all on you, I'm yeah. like, I have to do this now. Re you have to be realistic. I've heard that term a lot. You are now mom and dad. Actually, you're not. I can never replace no. the yeah. hard work that women put into the children mm. and the family. That conduit that women, the, the, you know, there's a special role for women in the family in that sense and the, the, the care that they show. No man can repeat, repeat, can replace that. And um, I said to someone, I says, well, no, I'm not. I'm a man. I only know how to be a man. I've got to be, learn to be the best man I can. But I can't replace their mother. Mm. And I never will be able to replace their mother in that sense. That allowed me to stay true to who I am. Yeah. And stop trying to be something I'm not. Mm. However, I did go off after six months and do a cookery course. Yeah. <laughs> I went to learn to cook. Yeah. So I went off to um, do a 12-week cookery course, um, which, was, which was enjoyable. But <clears throat> my wife was the best cook in the house. Yeah. Me, I would avoid it as, if, as much as I could. But now, necessity, someone's got to feed the kids. My mom's with me. She's in her 80s. Yeah. Can't rely on her. So I went on an Asian cookery course, learned about 50-odd dishes. And yeah. I still cook now, and I still do, I do cook a lot now, but it leads, it frees up the others. And I want, you know, good chance I won't starve to death. <laughs> <laughs> in that sense. But that was enjoyable because it was me and eight of the women in the class. <clears throat> and the teacher kind of took my favour in terms of, because of where I was in my grief. And, and, and it's only recently I've lost my wife. And, and she would like, uh, when one of the girls would complain about me, I'd, they'd be like, oh, no, he's okay. You leave him. He's all right, <laughs> kind yeah. of thing. So, yeah, I did take some steps to, you know, make an effort. I thought that was tough to be that proactive at that point. See, I was, I was focused in that sense. I was like focused in the sense that, right, I've got two young kids. To help them, I need to be right. And if I don't get myself right as much quick as possible, make the effort, even though it's as painful as it is, they're going to struggle. And the biggest fear was them falling away, them going off and doing all sorts of stuff. And you've got no control in the house anymore. You suddenly just lost a major part of your life. It's like losing an appendage when you lose your partner. It's like someone's just... Uh, half of me, I felt a half a person for over a year. Took a long time. They say so you were out of work for five years, and what was that for depression or just being lost? No, that was uh, there's a there is a sense that there, there's two types of group there's clinical depression, 
that m most people will um, struggle with who who do, who uh, in life. <clears throat> but there is also grief depression. Mm. Grief depression is slightly different in that sense because you're grieving and there is a it is like it does have a feeling of 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 early onset of depression that was just <clears throat> i was in a position where i was financially secured yeah. my wife worked for a major bank she was in corporate banking they looked after her they looked after me um she ticked all the right boxes <laughs> in terms of financial and um it gave me the space and the mortgage was paid off because life insurance. I can imagine that was a great relief for your, for your wife in what was going on, knowing that you would be secure in that. that well, sense. the thing is while she was alive, <clears throat> when once we financed, she only had six months, we went to the bank, hmm. told the bank, they clear the, the insurance companies, they spoke to each other, cleared it in a week. And that's it. Yes, you're right. Ask me now. I'd rather have my wife back. Oh, oh, cool. Cool. oh yeah. There's no yeah. Then, then being that situation, yeah. but it was an opportunity for me to figure me out. Who am I? Because I'm, far as I'm concerned, I'm still the married man. Mm. She's gone, but I'm still the married man. I don't know what it's like being single again. It's been a long time since I was single, mm. so I've had to learn to be single and start figuring out what I want out of life. So it took a while, but I did I did go and study during those five years. First of all, I wrote my book. I wrote a book called Cancer A Journey's End, which was about the two years my wife and I went through cancer. Um that um I, I got that out, published it. Can I also ask you, because obviously we're speaking off air and you mentioned yeah. um your first introduction to kind of counseling. We just go into a bit of that because I think that's a, a great story and, and my first introduction to counseling. <clears throat> um was um i i was pretty angry at work uh i was struggling with all the frustration and everything and um i broke down i remember i broke down at the end and, and after a meeting and the, and the director pulled me across and said let's have a chat and he said to me he said um you need to go for counseling and my reaction was i don't want to do that for losers and wimps that's what i said i really felt like a failure because surely you only go for counseling when you failed so that was my attitude and that comes from that typical man attitude mm -hmm. that we have and it, and it was only until after the third session did i suddenly realize i thought you clever lady i see where you're going with this mm -hmm. <laughs> that's when i thought okay <clears throat> this is helping me because we were coming to a stage where my wife was about to have a mastectomy. She's worried about her hair falling out. I'm more worried about the operation. She gets upset with me because I say to her, being a typical man, yeah, but your hair will grow back. Because <laughs> it means nothing to us, does it there? We, 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 I mean, you know, we're all balding. <laughs> yeah. We get older, but for women, yeah, it's a big and thing. she goes, you don't know how long it's taken me to grow this, mm. you know, because it was down to her waist, yeah. her hair. So that was quite distressing for her. <clears throat> but for me, I couldn't handle the operation. And I, and I was really, really stressed out. But going through those six counselling sessions, that carried me through because I found it's finally found a firm footing. 
because I'd be able to, I started to deal with stuff. That's when my attitude changed towards counselling. I think it's great that your director at the time even said that as well. Uh, but, you know, uh, there's a lot of directors who just pull yourself together. They were, get on with it. <coughs> they were brilliant. Mm. And you're absolutely right. I do have um, patients now who struggle with the bosses and what have you, but I was very, very lucky in that sense. They, they treated me like gold. I remember having this weird conversation with one of my directors where he was talking about how his mother passed away. This guy's in tears. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, you know, and, and he's trying to help me, but he's feeling it as well. Mm -hmm. They were brilliant. And, you know, when I wanted to come back to work earlier, they said, no, have another month off, don't come back. And then when I did come back around August, they said, oh, by the way, you've got 25 days leave left you haven't taken. I said, well, I've just come back. I've practically had half this three quarters of this year off. And they said, I said, I'll carry five. And I'll, so I had to have another 20 days off. Yeah. They were brilliant. I was looked after. That's what love's a great thing, though, isn't it? Mm. You know, when you feel like you are supported. And sometimes when you're suffering with grief. Yeah. And you do suffer yes. with grief. You know what I mean? And you also feel alone and then you're having it from work and you're having it from absolutely so you're fighting every fight then aren't you and you're thinking all i want to do is curl up in a ball and have a cry absolutely and i do come across a lot of distressing situations where i'm lucky well yeah in terms of i didn't have any of that drama going on but i know people who have um family feuds mm. regarding the will Fighting over some cut glass or fighting over some spoons. Oh, or... absolutely. It's amazing. And it does, it, it, when death happens, you go, it'll never happen to us. Yeah. And then it's that's everybody what else. You, <laughs> yeah, you, you've got to have it in paper, haven't you? Because yeah. next thing you know, you have your arguing over a. a even, even if people have got wills written down, you'll have fam family mm. members that will mm. come in. Do you uh, think some of that could be down to that it's their way of distracting? Well, if, well, if I'm focusing on, on getting this piece of glass then i'm not focusing on that Actually, i don't someone's... not in that circumstance there, there's a lot of other stuff going on there in the background where what you're talking about is sometimes people will say the wrong thing mm. you know i i remember my motivation for writing the book um i literally just gone back to church and somebody came up to me and said oh it's nice to see you back and you're moving on i'm like Seriously, it's only been a month. Mm. Uh, moving on. I'm okay. nowhere near moving on. And I was quite angry with that. Mm. But then inside I thought, because it kind of, I felt he dismissed the last two years mm. in a sentence. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so I did, then I heard this still voice in my head just saying, write a book. What's the name of the book? A ca Cancer, A Journey's End. And where can people find it? If they... it, it it's, I think it's still available on Amazon. Um, if they, I mean... I'm willing to give my details. I know I'm going to stash them at home. So, they, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy we'll, to. We'll do that. We'll put that in at the end. Yeah. But yeah. If, you know, that, that thing is always good to get yourself together. But that person didn't mean to hurt you no. in any way no, at all. Absolutely. But it's, it's that kind of, I want to say something, but you just put yeah. foot in it as an he yeah. said the wrong thing. Yeah, you'll always. Or potentially find... the right thing because ultimately you read a book out of it. I did in a sense, yeah, I didn't feel like it at the no, time. No. But you will get people, because some people don't know what to say. Mm. And most people, when they are saying something, they're saying it actually to help themselves. Mm. 
because they're not helping the other person. They say, oh, I don't know what to say here. But if I say this, it's actually them making themselves feel better mm. that they've said something. something. Yeah, I was about to say, I think sometimes the best the best thing to do in those situations is just don't say anything. But on the flip side, it's nice when someone is because it's like, you know, like when you see someone suffering, you go, don't say nothing because uh, don't mention his dead wife. And if you go, well, I know she's dead. You know she's dead. But give me a way of talking. So it's trouble, a double-edged sword. Mm. Trouble, with, trouble with grieving people, and you're absolutely right, it's a double-edged sword. But trouble with grieving people is you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Mm. So going back with my own experience, if you'd said something and it annoyed me, I'm annoyed. Mm. If you didn't say something, they didn't say anything. Mm. They're inconsiderate. Mm. See, and that is because... I think we we spoke about this in terms of the the effects on the brain because I, I I've been studying um, I've studied now I've been going to university and I did a postgraduate in chaplaincy and I've been I've studied what goes on in the brain and our brain reacts we have a left hand side which is more rational so we we're focused we're doing a job it's the adult side of us we're going off and doing stuff. The right, that's the left-hand side. The right-hand side deals with our creativeness, our emotions. And what tends to happen in the brain is, and this has been scientifically proven, it's that when we're frightened or we've come across something and we've, we've been scared, you get a spike in the brain. And what happens is the left-hand side, your rational side, switches off. And there's a spike in the right-hand side, which is your fight-flight or freeze. Mm. That's what happens. So that's why we flinch. That's the, the right side of the brain has kicked off. What tends to happen when we're grieving and we're highly emotional, we're, we're at that plateau and we stay there because we're grieving. So we're, we're controlled by our emotional side of our brain. The rational side has gone out the window. So we're angry. We're tired. We're, we're react, reactive, not proactive. And that is, and and uh, we're frustrated. Everything you can align with grief comes out. That rational side of you isn't thinking at all. The right-hand side has all the power. And that's why you'll find when we're grieving, people are emotional. They will, you, you don't know what they're going to say. And that's why I think a lot of people do tend to have, tread carefully and in terms of what they say and yes you're going to get people i i teach people i had a method <laughs> where i would before i left home and whenever anywhere and i tell my patients this i used to say to myself right okay you're going to come across people who are going to say dumb stuff to you because that's what you think it is dumb stuff be prepared accept it you know it's coming so when i wish to go out sometimes fine but then somebody was saying oh they, you shake their hands go oh, you're thinking to yourself oh there you are <laughs> so prepare yourself expect that they don't mean it they don't know what to say we, we love to fill silences don't we and sometimes it's yes. like and they're very british how are you mate i'm fine that it's just uh how are you or uh, are you dealing with it? it all you want to say is Oh no! Yeah, kind of. Yeah, 
yeah. but you, it's it, it's hard to say that Absolutely. sometimes, isn't he? I know you're hurting. Yeah. I I can't do anything about Absolutely. it, but I'm aware. Absolutely. <laughs> sometimes. Absolutely, and it is it is that strange, it is that element where silence sometimes works wonders. Mm -hmm. Just being with someone. Mm. I had a friend. She um, at church. She was always there. We had a. I had a close knit group. I was very lucky. I had a close knit group around me who looked after me. Two of them were ex celebrities. Actually, um, bless him. My, he was my best mate at the time, and he was really close. That was Cyril Regis. Yeah. Yeah. Cyril was. I was very close to Cyril. Don't know for good long years and um he was always there on the end of the phone or he'd come round you're all right you know he was the calming element my other friend she was an ex-professional golfer who'd won the solheim cup and us open and allison would nicholas would she wouldn't say anything she wouldn't say anything because she didn't know what to say and I said to her once, I said, you know what, I really thank you for your support. She goes, oh, I didn't say anything. I said, that's why. Mm. I saw you. You were there. You were by my side. You stood by me. And that was special. Sometimes it's not the words. Mm. It's what you do. Mm. Just being in the present. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm quite a thing, because there's no experience like lived experience. Mm. So you've got into this thing. And I bet you're a very relatable person to people, and it's um, when you've got someone who was lost, yes, and was felt deeply. It's not like you're reading Freud, no. you know. You're not yeah. quoting someone Absolutely. who wrote it six hundred years ago. You go in. My what works for me might not work for you. However, this did, yes. or this didn't. Yes, or give it a go because you never know. It sounds soft. But it might just this help. is this is how it started for me. Um, I suddenly found people coming up to me and us pouring out their life experiences. I'm thinking, why are you talking to me? Mm. We've had a similar experience because we talk about mental health. Yes, exactly similar experience, yeah. isn't it? I yeah. think that they automatically yes. have that. Well, I can talk to them because they're talking about it, mm. you know, and, and they they just been to them. I can mm -hmm. talk to him, kind of thing. And there's a recognition of what you've been through. And I did start a men's group, um, and because at my church, um, they had a women's group that's been running now for 15 years, and that's been powerful with about 60, 70, 80 ladies turn up for that once a month. So we started to create an equivalent, which I ran. The most we got to was about 10. Just meant to say the exact same, yeah. You'd be lucky if you can mm. get guys together. We've done it. We did it next, uh, next door. We're tough enough to care. Yeah. Through the pandemic. Yeah. And it's, you get blokes and you go, what's all this about? Yeah. <laughs> what are we going to be doing? Sitting around old hands crying? Yeah. Don't think so, mate. And Men are cut differently and yeah. we, they just will not, they, they're more than happy to do something on a one-to-one -one basis. Yeah, yeah. Private. Yeah. But they are not happy to sit in a group. 
somebody suggested wanting to mix group i said you've got no chance because they're not even going to open up with men you've got no chance if there's ladies in the group and plus i did say to a few of them i'm not starting a dating service i was going to say if you're not cool. <laughs> yeah i was quite suspicious about that in terms of okay that's, you've made that suggestion but i'm sorry no, I'm not going there. <laughs> on the flip side on the deviant side you've got vulnerable people there exactly. and there's always going to be someone who's going to take liberties are, with vulnerable you people you are very vulnerable very vulnerable i i i my wife was my safety net mm. in that sense i mean you know, I, I, if i got chatty with a lady and i felt she was a bit you know over chatty i'd go running back to the missus go oh, you wouldn't <laughs> guess what happened today, kind of thing you know and she was my safety i'd go like go hide behind the missus i think i'll do that <laughs> safety and um and that was good because we that's the kind of strong relationship we had you know we were able to have a laugh and a joke kind of thing at times my best friend you know and my wife at the same time and it was um it was difficult i was so nervous for the first four to five months just talking to women mm. and just talk because i'm thinking oh people are probably watching me you know you start running things through your head i really struggled at, at first and i kept close with my friends and kind of they protected me like an umbrella and then to do to stop me from making a fool of myself at times actually to be honest so basically yeah. from that group and through talking to people yeah so how, how did you get to where you are now how did you get this job with well i started working i started i thought I like counseling so i started doing some course i did a 12-week counseling course mm. um in my five years at, at level three and then i wanted to do a year at a level four counseling so i started learning the basics of counseling and started to but i was still grieving then so a lot of my stuff was coming out as well mm. um when i got to the end of my level four i thought counseling is not for me mm. kind of thing in in terms of in this format as a qualified counselor and that's when my uh, mentor and my senior um, uh, pastor at the church said to me, he says, have you thought about chaplaincy? So I, just, I thought, oh, okay, chaplaincy is different. I'm a faith-based person. I want to express my faith, but I also want to help people because there's something that you, we've started to see now. When you lose a loved one, you ask those questions. Mm. Where are they? What's happening? Do they still see me? There is there, there's this existential spiritual question that is always asked. And it's amazing now, the um, the BACP, who is the body for counselling, have now opened up a spiritual section as well. So they're now starting to recognise that there's a spiritual element to people because you do ask the big questions in life. Mm. And, and I then started, well, I started chaplaincy and... I started work, did a course there, at about, I did an advanced diploma in chaplaincy and I went to do a work placement and this is where I started, uh, I did a year's work placement at West Midlands Police in Solihull. I thought everybody else was picking hospitals and stuff. I thought no one's going to pick the police. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go work for the police and I've always been that odd person out, you know, to go, oh, I'll do, go do something different. So I actually went to see um gentleman, he's retired now, John Butcher was the chief chaplain at West Midlands Police, and went to see him. We sat down, had a chat, 
And he said, uh, well, it's funny enough, you've got the experience, you've got some life experience, there's raw stuff there. We've got a, it was all voluntary. He said, oh, we've got an open vacancy, we're looking for a chaplain, Solly Old Police Station. <laughs> and he goes, do you want it? I thought, hold on, I've got no experience, I'm only just starting the course, you know. Um, how am I supposed to do this? And I thought, well, maybe God's in this. And I thought, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> so I did it. What is a chaplain? A chaplain is is different from a counsellor. So we can sit and talk, but it's relational. It's not a confession with the Catholics. No, no. A chaplain will sit and do what we're doing here. Yeah, yeah. Have that chat. It doesn't have to be about religion. It doesn't have to be about a particular faith. I've sat with people from many different faiths and different backgrounds, and we've just chatted. It's being relational, yeah. understanding what's going on with you and how can I help you. Kindness. Kindness. Kindness empathy. is, we have different words for kindness and empathy, but it's, yeah. I'm not trying to sell you anything. Exactly. I'm not trying to convert you. Yeah. And I think that's where people get the wrong end of, Spirituality or religion. Absolutely. We're not there to evangelize. We're no. there to be real with you. Yeah. We care. And um, I care. You know, and this is the thing about I always seen chaplaincy not as a job, as a calling. Mm. I help these people because I want to help these people. Well, the saying that been with us ever since we started is you find your medicine and it's if it's a chapel, whether it's being downstairs in my boxing club, and you find somewhere where you feel with like-minded souls, yeah, and you find a peace with people around you, and that gives you peace with yourself. And if you can talk to like-minded souls, yeah, you're on the on on the way to getting better, aren't you? Absolutely. And there's it, this is what I'm saying about relational. Mm. We we need relational. We need people in our lives we can connect with. Mm. And it is that connection which helps us to open up. Mm. And a job opportunity came up after I finished a year uh, at the police. Um, listening guidance advisor, it was Downers, um, working out of a surgery, GP surgery. What's that entailed? That exactly what it is, listening. And that's probably the, the most powerful tool, mm. you know, and guiding have you got the experience to be able to help people through difficult situations? So it was around a working in a GP practice, um, three days a week, and just doing lower level to fully qualified counsellor, but chaplaincy in that sense. So I was allowed to be me in yeah. that sense. Yeah. So it's giving yourself out for an individual to help people get through their problems. Mm -hmm. And it's been three and a half years now we've been doing that. And it's um, it's been absolutely fantastic. It's been a great learning curve for me, but it changes you. I bet. Can I just ask a question and going back to your faith? And this is not me yeah. questioning your faith yeah. at all, but obviously your, your wife's um struggling with the cancer Absolutely. did that not because i think about myself like i i'm in in terms of believing in god i'm not faithful at all and i look at my daughter and go how can how can i believe in that that someone would allow that kind of suffering to this little child did that not did it not make you question 
your five at that point and go, how can you, how is my wife going through this suffering? How's my family going through this suffering? Do you know, um, that is the big question. That is the big question. I've asked, I've been asked, so where's your God in mm. all this? Why has this happened to me? The best answer I can give to patients is, and these are normally faith-based people who are struggling with their faith. And they'll say, and, and they'll say, I will say to them, okay, do you believe that God is all powerful? Yes. Do you think He's created everything, the universe, everything? Yes. So mm -hmm. how do you expect little old me to know that answer? Mm -hmm. And you know, there isn't an answer. We don't know why. I don't know why, why my wife died. I don't know, you know, why she didn't leave. She was a Christian. She was a faith-based. But sometimes we have we go through fiery trials. And I remember having an argument with God once. Um, I came home angry, really angry, threw my bag in the corner. I said, right, me and you are going to have this out. I want you to heal her, make her well. You do that. I'll follow you to the ends of the earth and I'll tell everybody what you did. But if you don't, you get nothing out of this. If she dies, you get nothing out of this. And then there was a, I think the fear of God hit me a bit. And I said, well, let your will be done, kind of covering myself in that sense. But there was anger. Mm. And that's okay. You see, there, it's okay to be angry. It's okay. God's not up there thinking, oh, you're angry now. Can't be having that. No, no. There's a story in the Bible called the book of Job. Mm. And Job lost everything in one day. And there's a man who lamented, cried out to God, but he would not curse God. And he kept his faith. And he came through that trial. He came through that trial. And for me, I remember the day she died when I got the call at four o'clock in the morning. So Mr. Nake, you need to come in. Your wife's poorly. And I said, okay, what do you mean? And she just repeated it again. Mm. I thought, oh, okay. That got the alarm bells up, got up, rang my brother. He came down straight to the hospital. I remember sitting with the doctor and he's, he's struggling <laughs> to tell me. You know, he's like, well, she, we had this and we had a few complications in this. And I just stopped him there and I said, she's gone, ain't she? And he goes, yeah. After that, I didn't need to hear the rest. Yeah. I let him finish. wasn't listening, but I let him the finish. The rest doesn't matter, does it? doesn't it? matter, does it? Yeah. So I went in the room and obviously my emotions came out, as you do, cried over her and everything. But I did sit in the chair next to her and search inside. Yeah. What am I feeling in my faith? Am I angry? No, I'm not. Am I, you know, am I resigned to the situation? It's happened. I just remember just sitting and saying, let your will be done. I never questioned him, never got angry, never. I think my, my ministerial experience, I read so much of the Bible and understood so much of the Bible that I knew it wasn't God's fault. Life can deal you a bad card sometimes, mm. you know, and it's easy for us to blame God. 
teasing. But bad stuff happens. Mm. You know what I mean? And and um, <laughs> there are stronger words for it. I don't want to do it on air. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it does happen. Bad things happen in life. And I think it actually, the, the victory for me is what I'm doing now. Mm. I look back now and I think what you're doing actually God has been given the glory because you are now pouring out with others. Yeah, and <laughs> potentially if you hadn't had that experience you had, you wouldn't be where you are now. I wouldn't be the man I am now if I mm. didn't. You know, working with grief, though. Yeah. I was going to be a cancer. I did my, I don't know if it's level three or yeah. years ago. And, uh, and I always thought that was going to be my vocation. I did NLP and I thought, and maybe something I'll dabble with as I get older. That's mm. why I love doing what we do now. Yeah. But you know, when you're listening to bereavement all the day, yeah, I bet it, does it take its toll on you? It can, yeah, yes, it can. There are times when you are caught up in the story and mm. the grief, and sometimes I, I have a box of tissues, I don't know sometimes whether they're for the patient or for me, <laughs> <laughs> but there are times when I'll shed a tear, and naturally, some people you have more rapport with. And, Absolutely. You know what I mean? Every pain is pain. Yes. But some people naturally pull on your heartstrings more Absolutely. than others. I mean, the worst kind of cases I have, which really pull on my purse strings are when children die. Yeah, of course. Baby. That is, and, and on top of that, to make it even worse, if you ever could, it's a suicide. Yeah. That really pulls on you. Especially when it's a kid who's done it as well. Absolutely. It's, 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 you know, I've had patients what lost 23, 24 year olds given mm. who have committed suicide. You really learn a lot from the grievers. There is, there is some, there is a dignity in the way some of the people handle their loss. I've, I lost my wife. That's bad. I always say, See, I can get married again, but, a oh, but my children can't have another mother. Mm. And that's the thing, you see. And I did struggle as I was going through my grief, thinking about my kids mm. in that sense. But I dealt with that as well in, in that sense. But to lose a child, I'll never, I'll never say to a patient that, oh, I get that because I don't. Mm. And I never will. The pains, that cuts deep. The loss of a child cuts deep. And those are the tough ones. I always think with suicide, I've said it only lots of times, I think when it's the cancer, you hate the cancer. You can blame yes. the cancer. When it's a heart attack, when it's a, a driver, when it's... Yeah. But when they've taken their own life, it's that, I love that person so much. How could they do this? Absolutely. To, and it's they haven't done it to you. No. They've done it because they thought that was the best they could do for you. And that's the, the sad misguided I, communication absolutely absolutely i learned listening to my patients uh, that i'll say this now those who commit suicide don't want to commit suicide but their mindset is in such a place mm. that's the only avenue they see very poorly and and you you cannot put yourself in their shoes to envisage how that works you know but i i i would never blame someone who has taken their own life you don't know the mindset you don't know what took them to that dark place for them to do that and that is 
where you've got to have the empathy, not just for the one who's gone, but for the loved ones as well. And everyone I know, the family of someone who's taken their life, it's, um, I could have done more. Why didn't he or she say it? And it's... The guilt that comes out is heavy. There's always guilt surrounded by death, isn't there? If you're the best husband, best wife, best son, but yes. you always feel I could have, I should have, I must have, I... yes. And then, but when it's something where they've done it to themselves, it magnifies even more, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And this is where we will have certain levels of guilt, and it is in that situation you'll find those patients have the strongest guilt, mm. and it is that takes a long time to work out and to work through each each session after session. And because a lot of it is repetitive. And I think sometimes when you're aware that someone is poorly, and yes. they're very poorly. Yeah. But with a suicide, a bit like a heart attack, it's just, what do you mean? He was fine last time I saw him. I know. That's the shock mm. as well, isn't it? It is. It is. And that's 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 very difficult to deal with and handle. So when you're saying, you know, when there are times when you have cases like that, there are times at the end of the day I will be pretty exhausted, mm. but I'll pray. I'll pray for each of my patients. I'll pray for each one of them and just, you know, give them some peace. Do you go and see, uh, do you have counselling at the end of it? We time? have to have what we call supervision. Supervision. Yes. Supervision. So um, every six weeks we have supervision. That's part of the job yeah. where we bring cases that we find we're difficult or the stuff we want to talk about and let off and and we do that in a, there's a team of us um and as we can't get together so we'll do it on zoom mm. but it's there the facility we have to have it in this job there's no way you can go through dealing case after case after case and not and not be not be affected by it it does change you life becomes small arguments become irrelevant Mm. Uh, but you've got to be careful because it makes you impatient as well because you can't tell you don't tolerate silly things you know silly arguments you think i've just had a day like this and you're bickering about this and it's difficult you have to watch yourself otherwise you start snapping out other people and this is where the supervision is very important we say that about some stuff there, don't we? Yeah, I've said it a lot, a lot with, with my daughter, with what she's gone through in and out of hospital and, and my kids come to me, my two eldest, I've got a headache. I'm like, get on with it. And I shouldn't do. <laughs> I because, know. Yeah. you know, they're feeling that Absolutely. headache. But it does. And I think of that in my own circumstances. Just get on with it, Lee. You know, you, yeah. you've hurt your leg. Don't worry about it. Get on with it. You know, and I had the same problem mm. with my girls. Oh, they were so enthusiastic about doing charity work for cancer. After my wife died, I didn't. I couldn't even look at an advert, so I'd turn it over, and they kept coming in. Oh, we're going to do this five mile run and this and that and this and that. And I snapped one day and I says, "What's with the cancer? Can you give it a rest? Just had two years of it. I don't want to hear the word." And I kind of went quiet and went, oh, "Okay," and walked out. Yeah. But then you feel guilty yeah. because you think oh, they don't mean it. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're just trying to do good, aren't they? They're, they're trying, trying to help. Do good. They yeah. want to raise money for breast cancer awareness and they've done the charity runs and things like that. And I would go to those events because the girls and my brother would come and support close friends. But I'd be as miserable as you can get. I hated every minute of it because that's you're sitting in that. 
And the last thing you want is a reminder. Mm. You know, it's tough. What would you tell anyone now who either is grieving? Yeah. Or you know someone and you think that you could see they're suffering, yeah. but don't know what to say. What would you say to them? Do go and find someone, a qualified person. Mm. I mean, if you're if you're you're lucky, if you're in the Dudley area, there are 13, 14 of us in, in the area. Get in touch with your local GP. Do they have a listening guidance advisor who who can you can go and have a chat with? Go and have a chat with. But I tell you this, do not sit with it for too long you can't avoid avoid the situation you have to deal with the situation we heal ourselves by talking it's a release valve it's that fizzy pop drink that you've shaken like mad and you've left it on the side now for the for the last two hours you know what's going to happen when you take the lid off that's you and the tense tightness of the bottle that's the anxiety and the stress and the grief building up. You take that top off, it's going to shoot out. One way or another, your grief will come out. Well, it will come out. We had, was it Rachel and Poonam who come on uh, about bereavement as well? And they said, sometimes you put a cork in, but you don't know when that cork's going to come out. Oh, yeah. And you'd rather go into counseling sessions and speaking to someone is you controlling when, it's when it comes out. Because you don't know what's going to trigger you off. You could go be out shopping. You see something, it's a reminder, boom. If you lose, you're going to lose it in terms of your emotions if you've been bottling it up for so long. But if you go to sessions on a weekly basis, you're controlling that. You're going to cry. It's okay. Do you know what? I say strong people cry. Mm. It takes courage. It, you know, tears are a way of us communicating what we can't verbally say. They are vital in a grieving, se in a counselling session. I like my patients. I let them, when they're crying, I will say nothing. Let them cry. Let it out. Let it out. It's got to come out. You can't bottle it. And it reminds me of the saying from, I don't know if you've seen it and or read the book, the boy, the mole, the fox and the horse. And it's a lovely saying in there. Yeah. Asking for help is not giving up, it's refusing to give up. And I think as men, as people, as human beings, we feel if I ask for help, I've, I've bottled it, I'm a coward. But by asking for help, I realise I'm about to lose, but by asking help, I'm refusing to give up. And I think that saying changed the narrative in my brain. I thought, yeah, it's not giving up. I've I'm aware I'm struggling to ask for help, and I'll continue. And if I continue, then I can beat it, I can win, I can Abs be happy again. Absolutely. You can apply that to everything. Everything. Even sports. Everything. You don't become a professional boxer without someone actually helping you to become yeah. a professional boxer. You need teaching. You don't know it all. And the same thing happens in what you've just said. We need someone to guide us, to help us. And the trouble with men is that strong macho image, the tough adverts, you still see them now. Yeah. Uh, the guy with the muscles and he's holding a aftershave bottle. And to be honest, most blokes don't look like that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no one in this room. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And it's like, you know, I'm thinking, 
when I see those adverts, I'm thinking, well, nobody I know looks like that. You know what <laughs> I mean? We'll pay for a personal trainer. Yeah. We'll pay for a dietitian. Yes. We'll pay for an expensive bottle of aftershave that might get us women. Yes. But we won't pay for someone to help with our mind Absolutely. and our emotions. Absolutely. But once we get that in check, everything mm -hmm. else falls into play. See, we live in three states of mind. There's a rational mind. There's the wise mind. And the emotional mind. Mm. We will always live in one of those categories throughout the day. The wise mind, intuitive, uh, creative, but yet philosophical, mm. wise. Yeah, knows is in car is calm. It's got everything under the control. The rational mind sometimes can be cold. Mm. No, not doing that. Well, everything's black and white. Yes or no? You know, um, and you sometimes you'll see that in brief people. Sometimes they can be either emotional, but sometimes you get someone who's very rational. Well, I don't think that. Well, this is it now. This is how I'm going to live. This is how I'm going to be. And it's a very cold person, snappy person, you know. And then you've got the emotional state. Everything, the whole world, and oh, you said this, and oh, what do you mean by that? And, and we're out of control. We, we're trying to, as humans, we're trying to get to the middle. But we will work out of those three states. And you can literally now, if you actually look at people and analyze people, you could sit there and go, oh, wise mind. Mm. Yeah, bit emotional there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you can literally see where people are sitting. So when I have someone, obviously, when they're grieving, I know they're going to be living out of the emotional, of their emotional mindset, mindset, and I get that. And they're going to say things that don't make sense, but in their emotional state, they think they know what they're saying is right. Mm. And then you get to someone who'll come in who's cold, and just everything's black and white. Well, that won't happen to me again. I won't do this. So it's trying to get them out of those elements, get them in the middle. Well, I've, I've really enjoyed that. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. No, it's Is there anything great. that you'd like to say before? No, it's, it's, it's been great. Um, comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> well, we always like to end yeah. with, uh, have you got any quotes or sayings that have helped you get through life? It's okay not to be okay. Well, thank you once again. I hope everyone's enjoyed it. So until we see each other next time, so I want you all to take care of yourselves and each other. Listen, listen, listen. And that's a wrap for another show. But if there are any comments or messages that you'd like us to read out for our next podcast, please be in touch. There are also lots of different organisations at the bottom of this page and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time, ta a bit. Listen, listen.